0: Have your Bibles, grab them. We'll be in Luke chapter ten this morning. Luke chapter ten. You might remember singing these words as a kid, or hearing your kid sing them. Kids, do you know this song? What a beautiful day in the neighborhood! A beautiful day for a neighbor, won't you? Won't you? Won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Those are the words of the opening song of the classic show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And, and the network aired that show, PBS, was under attack when President Nixon needed to cut the federal budget to free up some money for the Vietnam War. And so there was a Senate hearing over the budget and whether or not to cut PBS and close down Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as well as Sesame Street or whatever else was on there. And the chairman uh, of the Senate hearing committee, John Pastore, had made a name for himself as the guy who attacked television and, and, and took down television. And this guy wanted PBS gone. Uh, there had been two days of hearings already and it was not looking good for PBS. Everyone knew that he was gonna shut it down and it didn't really matter what anybody else said. And the senator opened the session on the third day by saying these words. He says, this is going to be a thorough hearing, not one to reach for headlines, but to reach for results. He was done playing games with people defending PBS and grandstanding and making their arguments. He said he he was tired of people reading prepared statements, no more reading prepared statements. So Mr. Rogers gets up to testify, to argue his case as to why PBS should continue to exist. See, Mr. Rogers had every reason to be angry and to be frustrated with this man, that his life's work was at jeopardy, that he wanted to tear down his life's work. He had every reason to be frustrated, every reason to be mad. But Mr. Rogers practiced what he preached to kids every week, every day on his show, that this senator, though that he was his political enemy, was also his neighbor. And when he spoke to him, he spoke with kindness, humility, gentleness, and respect. Mr. Rogers said that the first thing a child learns in a good home is trust. And so I trust you, Mr. Senator, will will read my prepared statement. He then went on to explain how he wanted to make every child feel special, to help them deal with their emotions, to help them grow up. He sang a little song about when you're mad, how you handle it. Kids, do you know the song? When you get so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath. One of them knows it. See, Mr. Rogers learned from Jesus what it meant to be a good neighbor. And he lived it out. With humble, gentle demeanor, he showed the world how you even treat your political enemies with love and kindness and how to be a good neighbor to them. So this morning, what I want us to learn is from the man Mr. Rogers learned from Jesus himself of what it means to be a good neighbor. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, the words of our God written by the apostle Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say these words. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The word of the Lord. Have you ever been thinking through a really hard question in your life? You know, like how old is the universe? Or why did God allow the Holocaust to happen? Or, um, uh, you know you know, like, why did God let this thing happen into my life? And you can place where you, you just can't come up with the answer. And you say, you know what? I just can't wait to get to heaven and ask Jesus this question. Well, the people who, uh, who were around when Jesus was walking the earth actually had the opportunity to ask the God of the universe question. They could get a sneak peek to what it'll be like for eternity. And they could have asked Jesus anything that they wanted They could have asked about the secrets of the universe, but instead what we often find is people asking questions that are selfish and really just looking to confirm what they already think they know. And this is exactly what happens in our story this morning. A lawyer comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. Now a lawyer back then was somebody who knew all those laws in Leviticus that we skip over in our Bible reading plans. He was a guy who knew all those laws in Deuteronomy and Numbers, and he knew all the laws in the Bible. Like the back of his hand. And he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, on the surface, that seems like a really good question, right? Like, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? But that's not what he asks. He doesn't ask, how do I receive eternal life? He asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so it already clues us into the reality that this man believes he can do something. This man believes that there's some action that he can perform, something that he can do to get eternal life. He wants a list of things that he's gotta do that he knows if he does these, he'll get heaven. And, And I think that's sometimes true for us. Like, think about it. It's hard sometimes to trust that this God is going to just give us grace and mercy and we're just fully trusting on him versus if he gave us a list of rules, say like maybe like 10 things, you know, that we could do. And if we just did those 10 things, we would know we'd make it in. It would be so much easier. But we know what this lawyer doesn't know. That there is no amount of doing that could ever get us entrance into heaven. And Jesus makes this point to him. And Jesus responds, as he often does, to his question with a question himself. He asked, Jesus asks the lawyer, what is written in the law? He's like, dude, you wanna know how to get to heaven? You're a lawyer. You tell me what the law says you must do. The lawyer gets it right. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now notice how Jesus responds to his correct answer. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus' words here are not encouraging words of, oh, you got the answer right, but rather they are words of condemnation. Do this and live is not congratulations, you got it right. It's good luck, buddy. They are words of condemnation. Jesus was right when he said do this and you will live. The only problem is that none of us could do it. This lawyer couldn't do it. He couldn't keep the commands. We could never love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind or others as ourselves so perfectly at every moment of every single day for our entire life. We struggle to go one day doing it well. And so what Jesus is doing is trying to open his heart up and expose the pride in his heart that he thinks he can keep the law and so that, so that maybe his heart would be softened. Jesus hoped that his prideful heart would break and soften so that he would see that he needs grace and mercy not the law. But instead the lawyer unsurprisingly doubles down on his thoughts and asks a follow-up question in verse 12. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? As the lawyer was trying to justify himself, he wants to know who are the people that I'm supposed to love? Which group is it that I'm supposed to love as myself? Who is it that I'm supposed to be a good neighbor to? I wanna make sure that I've got the, me and you are on the same page about the people I'm supposed to love so that I can know that I've loved them well and know that I'm good to go and I'm gonna make it to heaven. Not only is it incredibly arrogant to think that you have loved a particular people well enough to make it to heaven, but it's incredibly arrogant for him to think that he doesn't even need to ask a follow-up question about how he loves God. He just assumes, oh yeah, I love God. We don't need to worry about that. I love God perfectly. Let me get on to the rest. In response to his question, who is the neighbor, Jesus tells him this parable. Look at verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, we learn about a man traveling on this dangerous route. It would have been like me saying, uh, you, you know, he went down a back alley in the worst part of New York City at midnight. We know it's not going to end well. And so this man on this route gets jumped, he gets beaten, he gets left for dead. But two religious men, this priest and this Levite, they walk by separately and they see our friend half dead on the side of the road. But yet both of them walk by and do nothing. They don't give him, don't try to wake him up. They don't, they don't pray for him. They don't try to get him to his feet. They just leave him there to die. And maybe, maybe they don't do anything because they're afraid that the bad guys are still around and they're gonna beat, beat him up, beat them up too, so they gotta get out of there. Maybe they don't do anything because they thought, you know, he's already dead and, and Jewish law, you can't touch a dead body without having to do all kinds of crazy rituals. Or maybe they were just in a hurry, but whatever the reason, they don't do anything. They don't help someone in clear need. And the point is this, we expect them to help. We expected them to help. Of all of the people, the people who were doing God's work in the temple, we expected that they would help, that they would have done it, that they would have had compassion, but they don't. They fail. They fail. Jesus puts these guys in the story so that the lawyer at the beginning would identify with them. That's the lawyer's people. Those are our guys. And Jesus wants the lawyer to see that his heroes, men just like him, drop The ball when it comes to loving their neighbors. Notice how Jesus started the sentence. He says, By chance, a priest was going down that road. It could have been anybody, right? Like here's this guy laying dead on half dead on the road. And it could have been anyone. It could have been just Joe Schmoe. It could have been bad guys, but by chance it was a priest. It's your lucky day. Someone's going to rescue you. He should have been rescued. But here's the point for me and you today. We as followers of Jesus should be the first people to help, the first to love, the first to serve those who are in need. But so often, instead of loving and caring and serving, we rationalize away our responsibility. We justify why a person doesn't get our love or care, or we're just too busy. We should be the people modeling for the world what it looks like to love people. But so often we break God's heart by instead being the people who tear others down, who blame others for the problems they're facing, point fingers and insult instead of serving and loving. Jesus was pointing out to this lawyer and to us that we are not as good at loving our neighbors as we might think. We're good at loving and serving those we care about. Like we're good at loving people in the church, right? We're we're good at loving and serving our friends and people who look like us and think like us and agree with us. We're good at loving those people who, who, are, who are pretty easy to love. But what about the guy that we've never met who's in need? What about the girl who doesn't look like us? What about the guy who is to blame for the problems he's facing? Are we going to be like the religious men who pass by and justify away our need to, our, that we don't need to help them? Are we in too big of a hurry? Or do we say, you know what, they shouldn't have been walking down that path anyway. They should have known better. They should have known he don't walk from Jerusalem to Jericho on that path. Of course he's going to get beat up. He He deserves it. He should have known better. Is that our attitude? These priests were in the temple doing God's work, but they failed to do God's work when they were in the world. May it never be true of us, church, that we know the truth, that we know the right things, but when it comes time to act, we fail. You see, it If keeping this one simple command was all that we had to do to make it to heaven, to just love others as ourselves, to be a good neighbor, then we are all in trouble. Every one of us. Because, like this lawyer, we all fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Jesus gets to the hero of our story. And this lawyer. Surprised that it wasn't the priest or the Levi, but now expecting, okay, here comes the hero. It'll be some good, devout Jewish boy, and I'll identify with him because I know I love my neighbors, and like this Jewish boy, I'll make it to heaven. Maybe he thinks that Jesus was just taking shots at the priests and That's why he made them the bad guys. But here comes comes the good Jewish boy who's going to save the day. I know I'll be like him. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus takes the Jews' worst nightmare and makes him the hero. He makes the Jews' worst nightmare, the hero of our story, a Samaritan. Samaritans were half-breeds who intermarried with the Assyrians and began pagan worship and built their own temple to Yahweh. They were a mockery to all things Judaism, and the Jews hated them. They would walk on the other side of the road, they would spit at them, they wouldn't let them in their own temple, they despised them. The only thing I can think to make it comparable today was if I told you a story where the Christians were the bad guys and an Islamic terrorist was the hero. That's how this lawyer would have heard this story. Jesus takes the least likely person and makes him the hero. And this Samaritan finds our injured man, and he doesn't leave him there to die. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't pass him by. He's not in too big of a hurry. He doesn't say, well, you shouldn't have been here, you idiot. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he binds his wounds. He carries them. He takes him to the end. He heals them, and he pays for the whole thing. He loves his neighbor remind me of a story about a guy named Gordon Ernest who was an officer in the British Army and he was imprisoned by the Japanese and was a prisoner of war and was tortured and starved and um, beat up and all these things. And he almost died if it wasn't for his other captors tending to his wounds and giving him aid. And after they escaped, they stumbled upon an airplane that had crashed and Uh, these uh, Japanese soldiers were fighting for their life. And Gordon goes over to them and he begins to tend their wounds when one of his comrades says, What are you doing? That's the enemy. What are you doing? So Gordon tells him this parable. To which his friend, after hearing the parable of the Good Samaritan, responds by saying, But that's different. That's just in the Bible. These are the swine who've starved us and beaten us and murdered our friends. These are our enemies. Gordon responded, who is my enemy? Isn't he my neighbor? My enemy is my neighbor. Jesus ends the parable with a question. Which one of these men was a neighbor? The lawyer cannot bring himself to say the words the Samaritan, and so he simply says, the one who showed him mercy. You see, this is not what the lawyer wanted to hear. He wanted confirmation on who his neighbor was so he could feel good about himself. But Jesus doesn't answer his original question. The story of the good Samaritan doesn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? Because that wasn't the answer that this man needed to hear. Not who is my neighbor, but what does it mean to be a neighbor? That's the question Jesus was answering. Not who is my neighbor, what does it mean to be a neighbor? See, here's the answer. A neighbor is not something we have, it's something we are. We don't just have neighbors, we are neighbors. It's not just a noun, it's a verb, it's action. You see, everyone is your neighbor. There's no exception. Everyone you come in contact with, everyone in the world is your neighbor. Not an interesting question. The answer is everyone. What is a good question is what does it look like to be neighborly? What does it mean to love others as yourself? Well, it looks like what this what the Samaritan did. And see, Jesus exposes the Samaritan's heart because there are certainly people that this Samaritan loved. People who looked like him, agreed with him. Jewish people, but obviously he did not love Samaritans as he should. He was not neighborly to them, so he hadn't kept the law. He had broken the law. So let's ask ourselves this difficult question, church. The question that Jesus answers, not who is our neighbor, but how have we been at being neighbors? How have you been at being a neighbor? This is going to be difficult. This is going to be jarring. This is going to be hard. All right, this might step on your toes a little bit, but we need to hear it. So I want you to be honest and search yourself. 2020 has been a rough year. It has been rough. I mean, I saw on the news this week, not only do we have murder hornets, but we have meth, meth gators. All right? Alligators on meth going crazy. What 2020 seems like it's been 10 years long. And it has brought out either the best in us or the worst in us. It is moments like these that show us whether or not we've been a good or bad neighbor, whether we've been good or bad at loving others as ourselves. Two biggest things this year that have uh, brought us to a head at this question, the coronavirus and racial tensions over police brutality. And so let me ask you this question. In the middle of all of this, how have you been at loving your neighbor? How have you been at being a neighbor? How have you been at loving and serving those around you? Have you joined in the fight and called names? Have you played the blame game? Have you joined in the political fighting and pointed your fingers and cast fault? Have you been part of the madness? Or have you been a neighbor? Have you been an agent for good? Have you loved and served and prayed for and cared for those you disagree with? The ones that you disagree with, the ones that you think are the problem, maybe they are the problem. Maybe the ones that you don't even understand where they're coming from or why they're doing what they're doing. Have you loved them as people created the image of God? Have you served them? Have you prayed for them? Have you cared for them? Have you been a neighbor to them? Or have you been like the religious men who make up all excuses as to why they don't need your help or prayers or care? Well, they deserve what they're getting because look at the dumb decisions they've made. I don't have time for that. Or I disagree with them, so I'm not gonna help them. So let me ask you some hard questions. Who are the people right now that you have the hardest time loving? In this crazy cultural moment, who are the people right now that you particularly have the hardest time loving? Who do you blame? Who are the people that you are most critical of? Who are the people that you are attacking in private conversations or on social media? And here's my question, are you being a good neighbor to them, or are you being like the religious men who just ignore them and walk by? So here's my challenge to you. No matter where you fall on any issue right now, it doesn't matter what our, our thoughts are. The, what matters is how we've loved those we disagree with, loved our neighbors. And so here's my challenge to you. Those people you disagree with, the people you have a hard time loving, the the EGRs, the extra grace required in your life. Pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray that God would bless them. Pray for your political enemies, for the people that you disagree with on whatever issue that you are frustrated with, that you are angry about. And maybe you're right about all of it. Maybe you have the right opinion that does not give us the right to not be good neighbors. Because it is our job to show the world what Jesus is like. Pray for them and watch your heart change toward them. You might still think they're wrong, but you can love them, serve them. See, from the very beginning, the lawyer asked the wrong question. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question. What must I do? Wrong question. What he should have asked. Jesus, as a lawyer, I know the law better than anyone. I know what it requires of me. And I have failed to love God and others as I ought to. And so how can I, a sinner like me, inherit eternal life? And Jesus would have said, that is a great question. Fear not my child, for this is why I'm here, to save those who cannot save themselves. I've come for the broken, for those who are lawbreakers, for those who struggle to love God, for those who struggle to love their neighbors. I've come for you. See, we are not the good Samaritan in this story. We are not the hero. We are the guy who is half dead in the ditch, who needs a Samaritan to come rescue us, bind our wounds, carry us on his back, and pay the whole thing. And is that not what points to Jesus? Does the good Samaritan not point us to exactly why Jesus has come? He has come and found us spiritually dead. He doesn't just pay some money, but he pays his own life. He puts our sins on his back and pays the price for us so that he might bring us home heal us. See, the good Samaritan points us to our true rescuer. How can a sinner like me inherit eternal life? Not by loving my neighbor perfectly because I'll fail. Not by looking to the law, but by looking to Christ, the one who loved God and others so much. He obeyed God when he sent him to the cross to die so that he could love and rescue. Him. Church, I know that it is hard to love people sometimes. I know it is hard to love those who are different than us, people who we disagree with, people who we think are foolish and making dumb decisions. It is hard to love those who we think are the problem, who we think are our enemies. But that is exactly what God is calling you to do. He's exact, those are exactly the people God is calling you to love. And the only way you can do it, the only way you can love those people you disagree with and think are the problem is when you see that God did not come for those who were just his friends, but he came for his enemies. That Jesus Christ came into this world for his enemies, which included me and you, enemies of God. And he made us his friends. We were his enemies, we were against him, and yet he came to love us so much that it changed our hearts and he made us his friends. See, it is not easy to love your, our enemies. It is not easy to love those that we think are the problem. But God loved us when it wasn't easy. He loved us when it cost him everything. And only when you know that will it change. Only when you see how far God had to come to love and serve you will it change you enough to be a type of good Samaritan who can love, serve, and care for those around you that you would have otherwise ignored or written off. Do you know what happened in the Senate hearing with Mr. Rogers? Everyone knew that PBS was going to be canceled. It was going to be taken off the air. That this senator was not going to change his mind. He was stubborn. He was set in. But when Mr. Rogers not only told the senator how he wanted to teach kids to be good neighbors, how he wanted to teach kids how to deal with their emotions, how he, wanted, he loved kids and he wanted to help kids, and not only when he told them those things, but when he spoke with the kindness and gentleness and humility to this man who was his neighbor. But he didn't yell at him, he didn't grandstand, he didn't make a big political scene, but with humility he spoke with gentleness to this senator. Do you know what the senator did? The camera turns to him, and all the gruff and rude attitude melted away from his face, and he said, I just love it. I think it's wonderful. And I think you just got your 20 million dollars. You see, when we treat people like neighbors, when we love well, you will often find that not only is your heart changed toward them, but their hearts will be changed as well. That's what it means to be a neighbor. And even when you disagree, even when you want to hate, even when you want to cue them out, even when you don't understand, they're your neighbor. Love them. Serve them for kind. God, this is a difficult season in our life right now, but would you remind us that it is our job to show the world what you are like, that it is our job to show the world your love, that you loved us when we were enemies and now even our enemies, political or otherwise, we can love them, speak kindly, and speak well of them, to show the world what you are like. Too often the world only knows Christians by what they're against too often the world only knows christians by what we rail and are mad about and what we're boycotting this year but god let the world know us for our love let the world know us for our compassion and mercy to even those we think are way wrong on whatever issue let us not walk by them let us not make excuses as to why they don't need our love or support or care help us to pray god would you bless them uh, that may be a difficult prayer for some of us to pray for some people, but God, would you give us the courage and the strength to pray that you would bless those people that we think are the problem. Change our hearts, and would you change theirs? For your sake, would you let the world see that you are a loving, compassionate God God, use us to show the world. In Christ's we pray, all those people said.